The Lord be with you. There is a tradition within the church that every seven years you give your pastor a summer to rest, to be rejuvenated, to be inspired, to return once more for ministry invigorated. And we call this time of rest and renewal a sabbatical. Now, there's a, a challenge for congregations, right, to say, what, we're going to have our pastor go away for a summer? Who's going to care for us? Well, there's an organization called the Lilly Foundation, and what they do is they provide $30,000 for congregations to be able to hire a pastor for that summer, and then to be able to provide funding for the pastor, the regular pastor, to go and do educational, enriching, and inspiring experiences and come back. So, for the past nine months, we as a congregation have worked together to create a proposal to send to the Lilly Foundation for me to take a sabbatical next summer. And the sabbatical has three basic parts to it. The first is that I spend a month preparing to summit Mount Shasta. Yeah. The second is that my family take a trip to Istanbul and to discover the sacred space and the busyness of Europe's largest city. And the third part is to spend time in a fishing village in Greece studying ancient Greek. And it's not just for me to do these things, but while I would do these things, you all would read books, one matched with each uh, activity, and then when we come back, we would share these ideas. And so we sent this proposal to the Lilly Foundation, and last week we heard back from them, and they said, no. They said, no, we're not going to fund that. Have you ever tell, told God that God is wrong? Have you ever done that? That's what Peter does today in the gospel. Yeah, because last week, Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, that's right, Peter, I'm the Messiah. And Peter says, well, great, because this is going to mean that you're going to like lead a military revolution to overthrow the Romans and set us free. It's going to be great. And today we hear Jesus say, actually, let me tell you what's going to happen, Peter. I'm going to suffer and be killed. And then I'll come back to life. And Peter says, no, you're wrong, Jesus. That's not how it's supposed to go, right? You are my Messiah. And so you are supposed to be my deliverer, the one who delivers to me the life that I want, according to my expectations. Not get yourself killed, Jesus. Literally, upon hearing God's plan, Peter says, God forbid it. Peter says that to God. God forbid what you're planning to do, God. And in response, Jesus calls Peter Satan. Just get behind me, Satan. And maybe it seems a little harsh for Jesus to call Peter Satan. After all, all Peter is really asking for is that Jesus not die, which seems like a good thing to want. But in that moment, what we see Peter do is exactly what Satan does at the very beginning of the Bible. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, when God is creating the heavens and the earth and the Spirit of God hovers over the waters, God brings forth all life from those waters of creation. And every single thing that God brings forth, God sees. And God sees that it's good. And so everything that God makes is good. 
And then God takes the first people, Adam and Eve, and puts them in a garden, the Garden of Eden, and says, it's all good here, but in this garden there is a tree that has a fruit, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat that fruit, well, then you'll get to decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. Stay away from that fruit. And then a serpent that we call Satan shows up. And Satan says, maybe you should eat the fruit. Maybe you should decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. And so Adam and Eve do. And wouldn't you know it, the very first thing they do is they look at themselves and they go, oh no, we're naked. This is a bad thing. My body must be evil. But why? God had made their body and seen that it was good. But now Adam and Eve are judging for themselves, and so they judge they need to hide their bodies. They need to hide from God. And God says, why are you hiding from me? Did you do that thing I told you not to do? And Adam says, it's not my fault, God. It's the woman, the woman who you gave me. The woman made me do it. And the woman says, not my fault. It's the snake. The snake made me do it. To say instantly, they have judged themselves to be bad and everyone else to be worse. They are still in the Garden of Eden, but they are no longer in paradise. In that moment, they're in hell. Their physical reality hasn't changed, but their spiritual reality has changed. They have stopped trusting what God has declared to be good and have started judging it by their own standards. And that is such a temptation in our life every single day, to say, if my life is going to be good... I need to get this job, I need to go on that vacation, I need my children to make the choices I want them to make, and I definitely need to get this sabbatical. <laughs> we hear Jesus today say, those who want to save their life will lose it. Here's the truth. The moment that we decide what needs to happen for us to be happy, we won't be. The moment that we decide what our knife needs to be in order for it to be good, it won't be. But Jesus says, those who want to save their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And that's also the truth. The moment that we're able to say, okay, I'm not in charge of what happens with every aspect of my life. God is, and God has said that it is good. The moment that we stop being the ones to say, this is what my life has to be in order for it to be good, well, in that moment, our life becomes truly good. This is Jesus' invitation to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. The cross is the invitation to die to the life that we demand. That we die to the insistence that Jesus be the Messiah that we want him to be and deliver us the life we want. Jesus says, die to that. And discover the goodness of the life that God is giving you. Discover how amazing it is. And in his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul lays out concrete ways that we can actually do that. He says, Bless those who persecute you. Do not curse them, but bless them. 
And I will tell you what. The life I want is the life where I say, Lily Foundation, you didn't give me that sabbatical. I curse you. I'm going to tell everyone not to apply that. You're terrible. Don't buy pharmaceutical products. That's what they sell. (laughs) But Paul says, why don't you die to that life? And why don't you bless them instead? Why don't you say, Lily Foundation, thank you for believing that pastors need time to rest and recover and providing resources to make it possible. And if I bless them, I will have life and it will be good. And Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I'll tell you what, the very day that I heard I didn't get this grant, one of my best friends called me up and said, I got the grant! Oh, man! And I wanted to weep, but she wanted to rejoice. And so I died to the life that I wanted to have in that moment, and I rejoiced with her because she so deserves it. And it was so life-giving to get to celebrate with someone the goodness that they have received And then I told her, guess what? I didn't get it. And she was so gracious and loving. And she wept with me. And life was good in that moment. And Paul says, hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. I want in my life to get to say, Lily denying me this grant is evil. But it's not. They probably had some good reason for it. They probably said something like, you want to go over to Turkey right now? Have you seen there's a war just on the other side of the Black Sea? Maybe don't go over there. Or maybe they said, you're going to try to cram all that in with a two-year-old? You're not going to come back from this rested. Or maybe they said, you know what? This sounds good, but it's clear there are people who need this a lot more than you do. And maybe they're right. They don't tell me why. But here's the truth. That they're saying no to me is not evil. Me demanding that my life be the way that I want it to be, me trying to be God, well, that is evil. That's what I'm supposed to hate. And I'm supposed to hold fast to what is good. And let me tell you what is good. What is good is everything that God has given me in my life, my beautiful wife and our daughter, What is good is this congregation, which week after week inspires me with your love of neighbor. What is good is this beautiful city in which I get to live. The the park is half a block from my house, and every single day it makes my soul sing for joy. At the beginning of creation, God made this world and everything in it, and God saw that it was good. And in the waters of baptism, God gives us that promise to us as individuals that the life that God gives you, each and every single one of you, that life is good. And let me tell you what, it may include heartbreak and disappointment and pain. My life sure has. And I think sometimes... We think, well, if life is going to be good, there's got to be this like balance sheet where the, the things that I think are good are bigger than the things that I think are bad. But it's not how it works. If something hurts in your life, it doesn't take away the good thing. And having good things in your life doesn't make the hard things hurt any less. 
But our life can still be good, even when we feel pain and disappointment. And the honest truth is, so much of my life, when I look back on it, and I look back on the, on the heartbreak and the disappointments that I've had, so many times, God has used those very things to bring even more goodness into my life in ways I couldn't imagine. Hasn't always been the case. Sometimes there are just tragedies, and they're just tragedies. But sometimes the things I think are the worst, God ends up showing me are the best. And it may be that me and us as a congregation not getting this grant is going to bring untold blessings to us together. I don't know. I can't see the future. As people, we can't. God can. Jesus can. Which is why when Jesus says, hey, guess what? I'm going to die. It's going to be great. He knows that what is death for him will be life for us. But Peter can't see that, right? Peter hears this and goes, you're crazy, Jesus. That can't be right. Even with Jesus telling him, oh no, this thing that you think is terrible, it's actually going to be the best thing ever. Even Jesus tells Peter this. And Peter can't believe it. So why do we think when someone comes to us with sorrow and heartbreak, we can tell them this. Oh, God's got a plan. It's all going to work out for the best. And somehow they're going to believe us when Peter can't even believe Jesus. No. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In that moment of heartbreak and sorrow, the best we are called to do is to be with that person, to acknowledge their pain, to be with them in it and say it is okay to feel that way and that you are there with them so that they know they're not abandoned by you or by God. And then in time, down the road, they will be able to look back on their life and, and they, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, may someday be able to make sense of why what happened to them happened. But it takes time. And I think that's why we heard last week, after Peter says, Jesus, you're the Messiah, Jesus says, great, maybe don't talk about it right now. Don't tell anyone yet. Because it's going to take you time to see what that actually means for me in your life. Just like it's going to take time for me to see what does it mean that I haven't gotten this sabbatical grant. What does it mean for us as a congregation? I don't know yet. I'm going to meet with the sabbatical team next week and then we'll talk to the council and we'll try to come up with a plan and God may laugh at that one too. Here's the truth though. Not getting the grant. It hurt. It was a blow. But in the grand scheme of things, it's really not that significant. It's not like Peter, who's been told that his best friend is going to die. Right? That's a heavy burden to hear. And yet, if I can practice here, If I can practice saying, you know what? God has said to me no in this small thing, and I will still trust that my life is good. Well, then when God comes to me with the big no's in my life, maybe I will be ready to say, my life is still good. Not because it is as I desire it, but because it is as God declares it to be. 
good. Today, after worship, we will baptize two people in the Chico Creek. And we will give to them in those waters the, wa- the promise that God gave to every single one of us at the beginning of creation, that life is good. And we will also give them in those waters the promise that if they, like Peter, someday try to be Satan, deciding for themselves what is good and what is evil, how the world should be, well then they, like Peter, can have that sin washed away and be welcomed once more to receive the goodness of life each and every day. As we give that promise to them, I will be standing in those waters beside them, reminding myself in those same waters that those promises hold good for me also. I invite you to join us and remember that those promises are true for you as well. Amen.